If you have a copy of the scriptures uh, with you this morning, if you would uh, turn to Revelation chapter 3 with me. We're going to take a look at verses 14 through 22 in Revelation 3 as we uh, finish up this month where we're going through these letters that Jesus writes to these churches um, that are in the, in the Roman Empire. And uh, we're talking about uh, things that the church uh, always struggles with. And we looked at Ephesus and looked at how the sh- church struggles uh, in forgetting our first love and not remembering the gospel. And, and how all of our other struggles are really actually kind of rooted in that. And so we took, uh, we took a look at how we always struggle with comfort. We struggle with false teaching. We looked at that last week, and today we're going to take a look at a struggle that the church has always had, the struggle of self-sufficiency. In a big picture sense of what we're doing with the book of Revelation, just to remind us, is we're thinking about four things together. One is that God always finishes what he starts. He always finishes what he starts. We're thinking about time together and, and thinking about how God thinks about time So when we think about the last days, we have to remember that we've been in the last days. The last days have been going on for 2,000 plus years. There's some things we know, and there's some things we don't. We are not made to know everything the way that God knows everything, but we do know this. Jesus has done it. Salvation is accomplished. And so let's come to Revelation 3 this morning and hear God's word for us. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may be rich, and white garments, so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes, so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him, and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray together and ask God to help us understand his word this morning. Gracious Heavenly Father, uh, we come to you this morning and we need your word as we always do. And we pray that... um, that you would impress upon us the many different areas in our lives where we think that we are self-sufficient, where we think that we are self-made. And would you remind us that we owe our entire existence to you and that we are absolutely dependent upon the finished work of your one and only Son, our Savior, Jesus. And so, Holy Spirit, we pray this morning that you would have your way with us in every conceivable way, and that you would make our Jesus more beautiful and believable to us this morning. And we pray these things in his name. Amen. Uh, have any of you ever been in a situation where you've been in over your head, like, like totally overwhelmed and totally in over your head? Am I the only one? I'm the only one who's had that struggle before. Yeah, 
We, we know what it's like to, be, to find ourselves in situations where we're in over our head. When Carrie and I first got married, uh, we were spending some time down at her, uh, at her dad's place in, in Georgia. And I really wanted my new father-in-law to think that I, that I was a capable human being, right? If you're married... You know what that's like, you know, you got, you, you've, you, you've married this, this woman of your dreams and you want her dad to think that you are capable, you're going to be able to care for her, all of that stuff and everything. And so that's exactly where I was. And Carrie's dad asked me to move a flatbed truck that was on their property. It was a huge like F-350 old truck that had the mechanical flatbed on it and everything. And so me, I want... I want my father-in-law to think I'm capable, I'm self-sufficient, that I can get some things done. So I'm like, yeah, I got this. And so I go to this truck, and I get in the truck, and it's kind of wedged in, in a small space, and I'm having to back it out of somewhere, and it's this huge truck. And to boot, it is uh, also manual, but I know I drive stick shift, so I'm okay. But here's the problem with these old trucks. Like, the floorboard is way up there. I'm five and a half feet, and the seat's back here. And so I'm finding myself sitting in this truck with my butt on the edge of the seat, like trying to, trying to get the clutch down and get it in gear and everything, and I start trying to back it out and everything. And, and, and I've got this. I'm doing this. I'm on my own. I'm really good to go. I got this and everything. And then the next thing that I know, I find myself in a ditch, and there's no way out. I can't get out. Like I can't figure out how to get out. It is an impossible situation, and... Here I am, Mr. Capable, I've got this, I'm self-sufficient, I can do this, I don't need any help. Well, the church at Laodicea is a lot like me in that flatbed truck. The church at Laodicea was really bought into being self-sufficient. And Jesus writes this letter to this church to tell them that self-sufficiency is spiritual bankruptcy. That's our big takeaway today, okay? So, so let's remember that. Self-sufficiency is spiritual bankruptcy. And the way that he gets at that in this passage, and that we're going to take a look at this morning, is the disgust of Jesus and the love of Jesus. So that's our outline, the disgust of Jesus and the love of Jesus. So let's dig into the disgust of Jesus. I hope by now as we've been going through these letters that you realize that context is a really important thing when we come to the scriptures. Because we have to understand things about these places and these people that Jesus is writing these letters to. Laodicea is a place that is a capital of financial and medical resources. It's absolutely known for that. As a matter of fact, there is this particular black wool that came from Laodicea that was used and sold to make garments out of. So if you were anywhere in the Roman Empire and you saw someone wearing black and wearing this black wool, you knew that came from Laodicea. They were also uh, really innovative in medicine as well too, particularly in ear and eye care. And doctors there had created an eye salve that would actually help with inflammation around the eyes. Laodicea was also just very, very wealthy. In 60 AD, there was a major earthquake that hit several cities within the Roman Empire and turned these cities into, uh, into, into rumble, uh, rubble. And, uh, and, and the Roman government came to these cities and said, hey, 
let us, let us help you. Let us give you some financial aid so that you can get back on your feet. Well, Laodicea was the only city that looked back at the Roman government and said, no thanks. We don't need your help. We got this. We're wealthy. We can take care uh, of ourselves. We're very capable. So it's a culture that is really rooted and based in self-sufficiency. And the church has clearly taken on that identity. Jesus writes this letter to them. It's the only letter to the seven churches that Jesus writes where he has nothing positive to say. Nothing positive to say. And he begins in verse 14 and he says, look, here's the one who's writing this to you. The one who is the amen. The one who is true. The one who is faithful. The beginning of God's creation. And when we read that there, we're not supposed to think that Jesus is this created being, but rather that Jesus is the one who empowers and enacts God's words to create and bring things into existence, just like we just confessed in the Nicene Creed. And this would have also been very familiar language to the church at Laodicea, because this is really similar language that we see in Paul's letter to the church at Colossae, the words that Jesus gave to Paul to write to the church there. And if you go to chapter 4 in that letter, you find that this letter is supposed to be sent to Laodicea and to be read at Laodicea. So Jesus is tapping into things that are familiar to them, and he's saying, I am the one who calls creation into existence. I speak, and things come into existence. And that's true for you too. You owe your entire existence to me, and this is how I've made you. Because he's tapping right back into the four-part story. He's tapping back into creation. I have made you in my image and made you with the purpose of loving God and loving people and loving the place where I have put you. Everything in every conceivable way belongs to me. That's what Jesus is telling them. And in verses 15 and 16, what we see is that the church has abandoned who they are in Jesus and what they were made for. Verse 15, Jesus says, look, I wish you were either hot or cold. Both of those things are good. Hot communicates medicinal purposes. Cold communicates refreshment. But rather, the church is lukewarm, and lukewarm is no good. And the Laodiceans would have known that because their water actually came from a place six miles away through an aqueduct. And once it finally got to them, it was tepid and lukewarm. And it wasn't good for drinking or for hardly anything else. And so they would have known what Jesus was talking about when Jesus says, You are lukewarm, which means you are no good. And then in verse 16, Jesus says, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. Have any of you, any jelly bean fans here? I like jelly beans. The Jelly Belly brand is really, really good. If you go and get the Jelly Belly brand of jelly beans, they have gotten very innovative over the years. They have created this one um, particular box that you can get that is called the Bean Boozled Box. Anybody ever gotten that? Yeah, I see some scrunching up, yeah. If you've ever gotten the Bean Boozled box, the Bean Boozled box includes jelly beans that taste like vomit, um, dirty dishwater, boogers, like 
earwax. And if you've ever had one of the bean boozled jelly beans and you put that thing in your mouth and you chomped into it, you realize that does not belong there. That needs to get out of my mouth right now. I won't eat them anymore. I, I refuse. Anybody that brings them to me, you can forget it. I'm not going to do it. You realize this doesn't belong here. This has to get out of my mouth. For those of us who are a little bit older in here, do you remember the movie Big with Tom Hanks? It's one of Tom Hanks's like breakout movies. I love that movie. And, and the premise of the movie is like he's this kid, he's this, he's this young teenager, and he wants to be big. He wants to be an adult, and he wants to have all of the freedom of being an adult. And so his wish gets granted, and he becomes an adult overnight. And then he's trying to figure out what his life's supposed to look like. He finds himself working for this major toy corporation, and there's this big party, and they're all gathered together in New York City, and they're dressed up to the nines and everything. And he walks up to this table that's got all all kinds of food and refreshments that are there, and he picks up beluga caviar, and he puts it in his mouth. And if you've seen it, you know the scene. Like, he spits it out, and he starts wiping it out of his mouth. He gets napkins as much as he can and everything. But it's clear, this does not belong here. This doesn't belong in my mouth. And that is what Jesus is saying to the church at Laodicea. I'm going to spit you out. You disgust me. You make me want to vomit. Man, that's heavy stuff, right? Well, what is it that he's disgusted by? He tells him in verse 17, he says, Look, you say, you think that you're rich. You think that you've prospered. You think that you need nothing. Jesus is disgusted by their self-sufficiency. And Jesus reserves his harshest critiques for this. Of all of the seven churches, this is his harshest critique, is those who think they don't need Jesus and are self-sufficient, convinced that they don't need him, think that we are self-made. And look, we are not that different from Laodicea. We struggle with self-sufficiency as well. And self-sufficiency ultimately is rooted in pride, in my abilities, in my production, that my worth is in what I own, in my flesh, in my bone, in what I have done. I've got this. I don't need any help from anyone. Where is that true for you? Where in your life is that true for you? Look, I recognize that we live in a community where our entire economy is based on a major university and a hospital system. Which means we've got academics and we've got healthcare, which means we have some really smart, capable people that live in our community. And a lot of you are sitting out there. If you're a doctor, if you're a nurse, you're a PA, you work in admin, you're a professor, you work at the university, you are someone who has come to answers all of the time. Have you convinced yourself that you're self sufficient? Have you entertained that? That you're self-made? That you're self-sufficient? That you don't need any help? You've got this. You are a capable, capable person. How about when it comes to your money? Maybe you're here and you've amassed a, a good bit of resources and a good bit of wealth and you've convinced yourself like, I've got this. I'm self-sufficient. I am making it rain. I got money. You know, it's interesting to me, whenever we read about resources and read about money in the Bible and material blessing, 
It's not usually that God is equating material blessing with his pleasure, in so much as God is pointing to material blessing and, and, and probing and purging and getting down deep to say, are you being generous in the way that I am generous with your resources? It's really a cause for reflection more than it is, look at me, look at what God is doing for me. Rather, it's a place for reflection. Maybe it's not money. Maybe it's your marriage. You can, are you convinced that you're self-sufficient in your marriage? You don't need any help? You don't need to open up to anybody around you about the, the hardships and the problems and the fights that you and your spouse have? And so you got this, so you don't need any help. Maybe it's your parenting. If you're like me, I don't like asking for help when it comes to my parenting. I like to think that I'm capable, that I'm self-sufficient, but the truth is, is that we all need help in every area of our lives. And look, self-sufficiency is so insipid that it even finds its way in our relationship with Jesus. And what this looks like is we think that Jesus gets us in the door, but the rest is up to us. And so then our lives become about what we are doing for Jesus and not about what Jesus has done for us. And the way that we sort of categorize this and talk about this is this is like kind of like, this is next level Christianity. Yeah, Jesus has done this for us, but what are you doing for Jesus? And so it's found its way even into the church. We hear this all of the time. And so that the Christian life becomes about what I'm doing for Jesus? Jesus has done everything for you and for me. And look, I'll tell you this, as someone who's been in pastoral ministry for a few years now, every conversation that I've had with someone who has had a significant moral failure in their life, they've always pointed back to how committed they are to Jesus, how they've been doing their devotionals every single day, how they've been in prayer, how they've been doing this for Jesus, and this for Jesus, and this for Jesus, and that for Jesus. If that's the language that you find yourself using, you are on a path to self-sufficiency, and Jesus will bring you to your knees. And that's the best thing that could happen for you. It's the best thing that could happen for me. Well, Jesus also shows us and shows Laodicea where this self-sufficiency and this pride comes from in verse 18, where he tells them that they need garments, they need to be cleansed by white garments, and they need their shame and their nakedness to be clothed. Do you guys remember who else needed to be clothed because of their shame and their nakedness? You see what Jesus is doing here? He's going all the way back to creation. He's going all the way back to Adam and Eve who abandoned what they were made for. And what that does is that leads to hiding it leads to covering up. Self-sufficiency and pride really just mask these deep down shame and insecurities that we have that we would be found out, that we'd be known for who we are and that we would be rejected. We're afraid of that. So we like to play the game of don't look here. Don't, don't look at my heart. Look at what I'm producing. Look at my abilities. Look at my self-sufficiency. Look at what I bring to the table. Jesus, look at what I'm doing for you. 
my accomplishments, my wealth that I've amassed, not at my deep down insecurities of not being enough. So we think that if we can make it look pretty, then we can fool everyone. But you know what? You can't fool Jesus. We can never fool Jesus. And that is exactly where Jesus meets us with his love. The love of Jesus comes to us in verse 18 and says, stop hiding. Stop hiding. Stop living like you're self-sufficient. Verse 17, you think that you're rich, prosperous, that you don't need anything because you got money and you got wealth and you got knowledge and you got all of these things. Let me tell you, self-sufficiency is spiritual bankruptcy. Here's the reality of who you are. You are wretched and pitied and poor and blind and naked. That's what you really are in your self-sufficiency. You're not self-made. I made you. I made you in my image, to bear my image in my world. To love God, to love people, and to love the place where I've put you. I've made you for relationship with me and with others and with place. You are totally and utterly dependent on me. Verse 18, he really comes at the church at Laodicea. Because he gets right at all of the things that they go to for their self-sufficiency. He says, look, you need to be... Gold that is refined by me. You need to come to me and get gold that's refined by me. You think that your wealth makes you rich? Uh Uh-uh. No, you need to come to me. Your garments, your black wool that's really popular in the Roman Empire, it makes you think that you're self-sufficient? Uh-uh. No, you need to come to me and you need to receive garments that are white, that cleanse you that expose your shame and your nakedness. I salve? You got medical knowledge and you think that that makes you self-sufficient? No, you need the I salve that I provide. You need your eyes to be opened by me. Yeah, as I was sitting there in that ditch inside of that flatbed truck in the mess that I had made for myself, I was trying to figure out how in the world I was going to be able to get out of this, and there was just no way. It was impossible. And I happened to glance up in the, uh, the rearview mirror, and I saw a person who was, who was walking behind me on the road uh, behind me. And for, for a second, I thought, well, I'm, I'm, I'm digging in my heels. I got this. I'm going to be able to get this out and everything. But then I was like, no, it's just it's not going to happen. I'm five and a half feet tall. My feet can't reach down there. Um, And so I got out of the car, and Carrie's granddad was walking up to to the truck. And he came up to me, and he said, it looks like you you might be having a little bit of a problem. I said, yeah, granddad, I I don't, my my legs aren't long enough. I can't see, I can't can't see out of the rearview mirror to back out of here. I can't, like, I'm stuck in this ditch, and there's no way that I can, that I can get out. And he said, well, let me see if I can help you a little bit. And so he got in the truck 
And he backed it back out of the ditch and everything. He got it back on the road where it was supposed to be headed and supposed to be going. And he rolled down the window and he said, why don't you get in here with me and I'll drive us on up there. And I can see for you and I can make things clear and, and, and we can move on to where we need to go. But why don't you just come on with me? And what Carrie's granddad did in that moment, one, was incredibly kind but he exposed my self-sufficiency. He exposed my, my, my shame and my fear of what am I going to do going back to my father-in-law, and he's going to see that I'm incapable and that I'm not self-sufficient. He exposed all of those things. He, he even saw for me in places that I couldn't literally see, and he was opening up my eyes and exposing my self-sufficiency. That's exactly what Jesus is doing for the church at Laodicea. That's exactly what Jesus is doing for you and for me. Verse 18, he comes to them and he says, You need what only I can provide. My cleansing. My refinement. My eye salve to open your eyes to who you really and truly are. Your self-sufficiency is spiritual bankruptcy, and you need me to expose your hiding. You need me to expose your shame. You need me to expose all of your insecurities deep down of being rejected, of being known and not loved, and you need me to come and to expose those things. And when I come to you, here's what you get and what you find in me. I am your wealth. I am your cleansing. I am your healing. My life, my death, my resurrection. I went to the cross and my blood was shed so that you would be cleansed of your self-sufficiency and free to live totally and utterly dependent on me. I have washed your eyes and opened them up I've opened your heart to see that all of your longings deep down and your insecurities can only be found and met in me. All of the places that you run to and that you hide and you try to cover up, I am exposing them. But when you come to me, you don't get rejection. You come into the family. You are a part of God's family I have brought you in. You will actually see how much you are worth to me because you are worth so much to me that I was willing to lay down my own life. You are worth so much to me that I left heaven and I came to earth and that I became your self-sufficiency for you so that you wouldn't die in your self-sufficiency, but that you would find life in knowing that I am always sufficient for you. That's what Jesus says when he comes to us. He's opening our eyes to who he has made us to be. We were always made to be dependent on God. We were always made for relationship with God, with each other, and with the place that he has put us. Do we see what Jesus is doing? He is bringing into our lives the four-part story that God has always been writing. 
of who we were made to be in creation, of the reality that we thought we were self-sufficient, and so we rebelled against God, and we need God in His grace to come and to redeem us, and Jesus has done it. Salvation has been accomplished in His life, in His death, and in His resurrection, and Jesus isn't coming just to redeem you and me. He's redeeming all things, and He is bringing a new heavens and a new earth where we will dwell with Him forever. And verse 19 shows us that all of this, all of this is out of love. All of this is out of love. That Jesus disciplines and reproves because he loves us. Love is not unqualified affirmation. Jesus loves us too much to let us sit in our sin, to let us sit in our self-sufficiency. Jesus loves us too much to let us try and hide in insecurity. Love calls to repentance. Love names sin. Love uncovers shame. The gospel, beloved, is always good news because it's always reminding us of who we were made to be. The gospel is always reminding us that we were made to bear God's image in his world. And in verse 20, love stays. Love is always knocking. Love is always drawing us out, always reminding us that Though our sins are many, his mercy is more. Love always is ready to come in, to sit down, to have a meal. Jesus is always going deeper and deeper into our lives. He wants a relationship with us. He wants to be with us. He wants to sit with us and have a meal with us and talk about where we're struggling and talk about our brokenness and talk about our hiding and our shame and know that we are met with reception and love and forgiveness through His blood. Where we are fully known and fully loved. Where is Jesus getting bigger for you in your life? Where is Jesus prodding at your self-sufficiency? Where is Jesus prodding at your self-madeness? Where is Jesus prodding at your attitude of, I pull up my bootstraps and I got this and I can do this alone and I don't need any help? Where is Jesus getting bigger and bigger to you? Because that's what the Christian life is. It's not that we get through the door because of Jesus and then the rest is up to us. No, throughout the entirety of our lives, the cross gets bigger and bigger and bigger to us. Because what happens in the Christian life is that Jesus continues to remind us of the gospel, of repenting and believing so that we come to a deeper and deeper sense of our sin and a deeper and deeper sense of our need for our Savior. Jesus is always, always, always going deeper and deeper with us. And verse 21, love makes us conquerors and rulers with Jesus in the new heavens and the new earth. You see, Jesus takes this all the way through the story. 
where Jesus will fully and finally put our shame and our hiding to death. And where Jesus will fully and finally pull out self-sufficiency in us by the roots and show us that we are absolutely, totally, utterly dependent on him. And that when we come to him, we don't have to be afraid to be known because he fully knows us and he fully loves us even unto death.